One of my favorite features of the iPhone is how they built in the Shazam that used to be an app just straight into the phone. And so if you are out and about, you can just literally ask Siri, what is this song I'm listening to? And she knows the answer. Now for you Android people, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. I don't know, I don't know your world, okay? So I'm not speaking to you for a second, but I will say this can lead to some, this can lead to some awkward moments. Because I remember one time I was out uh, shopping with Savannah and we were at uh, the loft. So there's, you know, there's not much for me there. And um, I remember just sitting here, you know, and it, it lasted longer than I thought it would. I'll just be honest with you. And um, I'm trying to be patient, but a song came on. I was like, oh, this is, this is I want to know what this song is. So I, I grabbed my phone and I, I asked Siri and I'm, I'm wandering around the store having to, you know, swim move past some people and excuse me here and... And I don't know that I ever figured out the song, um, but that was kind of awkward, I'll tell you, that they, they asked me to leave, so. <clears throat> I was really hoping they would ask Savannah to leave, you know, but anyways. Um, you know, growing up, it wasn't that way, though. So kids, we didn't, we didn't have Siri growing up. Um, we didn't have iPhones. We had the radio. And you may not have known that this is what this is. This is a radio. And millennials, what it is, is you may have it in your car. And you, you turn it on, and um, there's some radio stations. They play music. They also have a lot of ads that you might hear the, the news or uh, sports, things like that. But um, I remember uh, growing up, you would hear a song on the radio, and you would just pray that the DJ would tell you what the song was, right? And uh, you would just hope that he would say, and sometimes I went straight to another song, you just went, well, I, I get, get it next time, I guess. I don't know when that'll be, but... And I can remember one time studying in my room at, at my house. This was, would have been in high school. And I was studying, and I had the radio on, and I heard a song that I was like, I have got to know what this song is. So then I'm hopeful that you know, he's going to say it, but they don't give me the name of the song. They go on, so what do you do? You call the radio station, of course. And um, everyone getting a lot of head nods. I thought I was the only one. Thank you. I'm in the club. Um, so I remember, you know, going over to the landline and calling and I had to ask for like, you know, what are the last three songs you played? Cause I'm not sure which one it was. And so they gave me the three. And then of course you couldn't just like go online and find it. I had to go to the store and get the demo disc out and be like, which song was that? Like, anyways, eventually found the song came one of my favorite albums. And if you want to know about that, I, I'll tell you later, but uh, you can come ask me, but you know, I was thinking a lot about the radio. And um, this radio sitting right here, this works. This is Luis Vance's radio, by the way. And so, isn't it beautiful? But it works. Uh, Luke wanted to plug it in, but I thought of about 10 reasons why that would be a bad idea. So we didn't do that. Um, and right now, we could plug that in and we could go to a radio station and we could find any number of things. That those radio waves are here right now. If only you have something to tune in to it. And so when I thought about the radio, I thought there's a lot of correlations between that and our prayer life. God is here right now, if only we would tune in and go to him. So if you're new here, my name is Cale Courtright, one of the ministers here. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. Uh, we are starting a new series called So Let It Be, and this four weeks will be on prayer. I hope you can be here for that, because I think it'll be important for you uh, to just think about what it means to pray. As Tim mentioned earlier, I want to piggyback on that for a minute. We do have our kickball game 
this coming week. We want you to be a part of that. Just a great opportunity to connect with others. Whether you play kickball or not, we hope that you'll come out. We're going to have some great food, some popsicles, have a lot of fun. And so come out to that event next week. And as he said, it will probably rain because that's, you know, that's my um, gift, I guess. It will rain. And so just to be sure, go ahead and do all the planting you need to do this week. Don't wash the car. Leave it outside. It should be good. Um, we hope to see you there next week. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. So you can go ahead and turn over there. It'll be on the screen in a minute also. But Luke chapter 11. But you know, when I think about prayer, oftentimes what I think of, uh, there comes a lot of questions about prayer. I think about, you know, how to pray. What are the, way, what are the ways that I should pray? Think about when should I pray? Um, do I do it right when I wake up, before I go to bed, at mealtime, all the time? What does prayer look like? Um, why do I pray? And today we're going to talk a little bit about why we pray. And we'll get into some of those other questions in the weeks to come. But we have a lot of questions. And even if you didn't uh, grow up in church, you probably have an idea about prayer. You probably have heard the term prayer. You probably used it, maybe even in a sports context, like, oh, we don't have a prayer, um, but let's hope. Um, things like that. Maybe growing up, you prayed around the dinner table, and that was it. Um, here's the truth about prayer, is that oftentimes, what we know about prayer is caught rather than taught. You have seen prayer modeled, and that is how you pray. And that's good. I hope that you have seen prayer modeled for you. But if you're anything like me, I haven't heard I hadn't heard a class on prayer since I was in about the seventh grade. I remember being in seventh grade, and we had this class on prayer, and they gave us kind of a formula to pray. And that was really helpful for a middle schooler like myself, because I didn't know exactly what I was doing. I'd heard my parents pray. I'd heard people at church pray. And I was doing the best I could, but it was the first time someone said, here's some things to put in your prayer. But we don't do that very often. So most of what you may know about prayer is caught and not taught. And so here's what I want you to know as we start out here today. A prayer, if you do any reading on any research, one of the first things you may come across that prayer is a mystery. That prayer is really something that you're going to have to live into. There is not one formula that I can give you. There's not one key thing to know that's going to transform your prayer life. But it is, it is, that's because it's not a task, but prayer is a relationship. And much like we just talked about, that God is here if only we would tune in. That's what prayer is going to be like. I can't necessarily teach you how to become the, an overnight sensation when it comes to praying, but what we can do is lean into it as a relationship. And so in this series, we're going to use the Lord's Prayer as our backdrop. There are two examples of this in Scripture, Luke 11 that we'll read in just a minute, but also in Matthew chapter 6. And they are a little different, but Jesus has the same idea in both of these. Both Gospels convey a very similar idea. And so we're going to use both in this series. So to start out today, I want to read from Luke chapter 11. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. I want to stop right there for just a minute. Luke does a really good job in his gospel of showing the prayer of Jesus. So much so that by chapter 11, his followers have to just stop him and ask, Teach us how to pray. If you read through the gospel in one sitting, you'll see that there's a lot of moments of prayer. 
But what's interesting to me as I read this is I wonder, the first time I read it is, did his apostles not know how to pray? I mean, these were Jewish guys. They've been following Jesus. They probably went to synagogue every Friday. Uh, They probably have made some trips down to the temple for Passover and other feasts. Do they not know how to pray? Um, Why are they asking this question? And you know, that's kind of our question, isn't it? How to pray. Teach me how to pray. I want to know the exact way to do it. If you're anything like me, you have had something that, you want to, that you've prayed for. Something that's near and dear to your heart that you want to work out in a certain way. And so you pray. And maybe, maybe you guys are a little less crazy than I am. But I just think, if I could just pray this exactly right. If I could just get the words right, get the formula right, then it will work out the way I want. That somehow in this prayer, I have to please God so that He will give me what I want. That's sometimes how I think about prayer. And I think that may be why we ask this question. Teach us to pray. We know that prayer is important. And so we want to do it right. But again, as we said, there's no formula. This is our relationship. Prayer is our burning bush moment. It's our entrance into the holy of holies. That God said, when you pray, I will be there. I am with you. And so... That's how we think about prayer. This is a holy and mysterious moment that we walk into. It's a moment that you will come in contact with the living God. The God that brings life to death. That creates things out of nothing. That that will create all things new. And when you come in contact with him, you will change. I love how Richard Foster says it. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. I believe that when you come in contact with God, you cannot walk away unchanged. And so when you pray, you should expect to change because you are coming in contact with the Lord Almighty. But here's a truth about prayer that I want you to know. The primary purpose of prayer is not to change God, but it is for us to be formed by God. Now notice I didn't say it's the only purpose of prayer, but it is the primary purpose of prayer. When we go to God, it's not to change Him, but it is that we come to Him and we are changed by Him. Our goal as followers of Christ are to become like Him, to be formed in His image. And we are formed in part due to prayer. I think that's why the apostles asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught His disciples. See, every rabbi had their own idea of how to pray. They had their own, maybe their own times to pray, their own prayers that they prayed. And they want to know Jesus' prayer. Some of his followers had even come from John. They've heard that. They go, we've heard how John prays. We want to know how you pray. See, these are disciples of Christ. They want to be just like him. They want to eat what he eats, teach like he teaches, treat others as he treats others, and they want to pray like he prays. And the same should be true for you and for me. We call ourselves Christians, which means we follow the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we want to be like him. And so we want to know his prayer. And so what I find interesting about this prayer is Jesus does not start it by saying, okay, here's some things. When you pray, you know, maybe talk about the things that are going on in your life. You applied for a new job, maybe like talk about that. Um, you planted some seed, you know, let's, talk, let's pray for those things. All these things are okay, but Jesus doesn't give some things for us to add to prayer. Jesus gives us a prayer. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. 
There aren't many moments in Scripture that Jesus comes right out and tells you exactly what to do. But I think it's maybe important that as followers of his, when he tells us to do something, we might should do it. So he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father, may your name be kept holy. And I don't want to just read over that section and move on too fast. See, you've maybe read that, you've maybe prayed that a hundred times. Our Father, or Father. And that may not mean anything to you. You just go right past it on to the next part. But let's not rush past the fact that Jesus says you will address God as Father. See, Father implies some level of intimacy. This isn't God Most High. This isn't Lord Almighty. This isn't Jehovah. This is Father. And Father means something different. All those other names are true for God, but this is different. This has ramifications for our life. See, if we get to call God Father, then that means that He will call us Son and daughter. He will call us children of his. And that's, the, that's a different level and a different kind of relationship. And Jesus has said, you come to the Father, you come as children. And that has huge ramifications for us. And living out of that truth will change your life. You know, we can pray at all because of who Jesus is. Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his death and resurrection, has made it to where we can be sons and daughters so that we can have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is this symbolically is the door between us and God. And through the cross, he kicked it wide open for us. That now we can have a relationship with him. And prayer is the way that we walk through that door. And so we will call him Father because that is the way that Jesus that's how he taught us to pray, to, to pray our father. So the question remains, what kind of father is he? You know, growing up, you may have had an, an idea about who God is. You may have had a thought about what kind of father he is. That someone that was ready to um, call you out when you did something wrong. Ready to hold you accountable and to call out your sin. And, and all of that is true, but there's another side of who God is as well. You know, there are different kinds of dads if you look around. Um, Some in here may be what I would call sensitive dads. Or sometimes I refer to them as girl dads. You know, when you have daughters, and I'm I'm not meaning that at all as a slight. When you have daughters, you change as a dad. And I can prove it because multiple dads came up and told me this after first service, okay? So it's true. Um, You change. I wouldn't know. I I have boys. I don't know about that. So uh, we have some sensitive fathers. We also have some strict fathers, you know, who, who have a line in the sand. They have some rules and boundaries, and you, you will hold to those boundaries. You know, we might even have some sporty dads in here that are like, you know, let's get out there on the bike. Let's go throw the football. Let's, what are we doing? Let's go. Let's go. Sports is all what it's about. But, you know, my favorite kind of dad is the dancing dad. Um, <laughs> Have you ever been to like a Ranger game or the Mavericks game and they've got the, the camera that'll go around, they've got the song going on, and it's really better done if your team is winning and they got the song on and they'll find, they'll find a family and them dancing, right? This is my favorite part, when the dad will stand up, sometimes, sometimes to embarrass the kid, let's be honest, right? But, but as a way to just have some fun, right? I love it when you have like the, the four-year-old boy and the dad that's just dancing, you know, going all out with his son because we're, we're not too cool here. We're going to have fun with our kid. That's my favorite kind of dad. 
I want to show you a video in just a second of a similar type of dad. So what you're going to see is a ballerina recital. And um, I, I have girls only, so I may not even be saying that right. Okay, but um, a ballerina recital, maybe that's how you call it. But um, there's all different ages. And you can tell by their height that the one that, has, that we're going to focus in on is the youngest one. And she uh, is having a problem. She gets on stage, and maybe it's just the moment is too big for her. Maybe there are too many people in the audience, and she uh, just can't handle it. And so what happens is at the beginning of the video, you don't see this, uh, but she falls to the ground. She's just in tears. And so they go, and they run, and they go get her dad. And he comes on stage. And it's going to be on the very left. And so this is what happens. Let's roll that video. So the dad's over there helping, and, you know, that's not enough. Got to take the stage. What I love is that um, he's clearly been practicing. And, he, and he's super dad. You know, he's got the baby with him. No, I got it. I don't need your help. It's okay. That dad, he clearly did not come ready to take the stage. You see what he's wearing? That wasn't in his plan, right? That's not where dads are supposed to be. In fact, you know, if that was just a random guy, that would be weird, right? Um, but we, we do our oohs and ahs because that's clearly her dad. Um, he's up there. He's been practicing with her. You could tell that, right? He, he, was, you know, he was spot on, if you ask me. But, but he's not ready. He didn't bring someone else to hold the kid. He's got it all. He's clearly not dressed for the moment. But his daughter has a problem, and so he takes the stage. Why? Because that's what dads do. This is a good father. And so he takes the stage because his daughter needs him. In Luke chapter 11, we get the Lord's Prayer. We're taught to pray our Father. And a few chapters later, Jesus will tell you what the Father is like. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus receives some complaints, some criticism. The Pharisees complain that Jesus is the kind of man that welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus says, in response, he tells three stories. Jeremy referenced them during communion. He references, he tells three stories to tell what kind of person I am. Jesus is sent from the Father. He tells us that. And he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm like and what the Father is like. And so first he tells a story of a lost sheep. Who wouldn't go out after their lost sheep? There were 99, one is lost. And the shepherd goes out and he finds them. And he tells the story of the lost coin. And who wouldn't turn their house over to find the lost coin? And lastly, he tells the story of the lost son. Or you may have heard of it, the parable of the prodigal son. And I'll tell you that story real quickly. There's a man who has two sons. And the youngest one comes to him and he says, I'd like my portion of the inheritance. Now, that's pretty uncalled for in our culture, but it's even more uncalled for in their culture. This is not honoring of his father's generation or of his father. This is not what you ask for. In fact, it's essentially the son saying, rather than have relationship with you, I would rather have your resources and the money that's coming to me than to have you in my life. It's essentially saying, I wish you were dead because that's what happens. That's how I get this stuff. Well, the father goes ahead and he grants the request, And he gives the portion of the inheritance to the younger son. The younger son brings further shame on the family by going off to a wild or to a far country to live, as the scripture tells us, in wild living. 
He squanders all of his wealth in wild living. Jesus tells the story and he says, then a famine hits the land. And so the younger son has to find a job. And so he goes and he becomes a, he becomes a pig farmer. He works for a pig farmer to feed the pigs. And he wakes up one day and he has a, like a light bulb moment. And he says, you know, the servants in my father's house live better than I am currently living. So he decides, I would rather go home and be a servant than live how I live today. So he decides to go home. Here's what the text says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. All throughout the story, the son has brought no pride to the family, but has only brought shame and disgrace to this family. He, t- he calls on his father's death. He'd like his inheritance. He goes and he lives in a way that doesn't honor the father. And then he works with pigs, which is for Jews also um, is unclean. And they are not to do that. So the younger son here has not enhanced the reputation of the family, but rather has literally and metaphorically dragged it through the mud. Some in that day and age might have even said he has brought a curse on their family by the way that he lives. But the father is not like that. You know, today on the way to church, I saw three people running on the street. And you probably did too. Whether you even noticed it or not, you probably saw somebody running. We don't really even think about it because running is quite popular in our day and age. It's one of the leading ways that people exercise, at least how crazy people exercise. <laughs> and I would bet between now and next Sunday, you would probably see like 15 or 20 people running. If you just like look for it, I promise you. You look for it, you will see people running. But not in Jesus' world. They didn't run in Jesus' world. In fact, as you got older, you might not not even walk fast because it was undignified for people as they got older. There was no gravitas in running. There was no dignity in that. And yet we read how the father runs. In fact, I love how this story is is told. And in my mind, in my imagination, uh, this house is on a hill. And how else could they see someone coming from a long way off if not up high? And in my mind, the father wakes up every day and he grabs his coffee and he goes outside and he looks for his son. And he stays there all day looking for his son. And, you know, you can imagine the servants off to the side saying, like, I mean, this is just not going to happen. You know, Uh, the son's not coming home. Every day he's there. And so one day he sees somebody walking up. Someone's coming up to drive. And I can imagine the father squinting and he's looking out. And he says, you know, I think, I think that's my son. And they would say, how can we tell? It's, it's such a long way off. And he said, you know, I, I, there's just something about it. I can see that that is my son. He's heading this way, but the father can't wait for that. And so he starts running for his son. Church, this is who our God is. Our God is the God who looks out, waiting for his kids to return home. And as soon as they start their journey back, he runs to them. This is who our God is. While you were still a long way off, he runs to you. While you were still a sinner, he runs to you. While you were one who disgraced his name, he runs to you and he welcomes you in. This is who our God is and this is why we pray. 
We pray for three main reasons. We pray, number one, because God is good. When we say the word Father, you can't help but think of your Father. We all have a Father, hopefully, in our life. And hopefully, my hope for you is that you had a good Father. That's my prayer for my own life. That when my kids read that word someday, when they pray Father, that they think that they had a good earthly Father. But for some of you today, I know that that is not the case. Some of you did not have what you would call a good earthly father. Regardless of what your father was like, whether he was good or less than that, our father in heaven is better. God the father is better than you can ever imagine. And he is good. He wants good for you. He is behind you. He is the father that runs out to greet you. And what you'll notice as you read the prodigal son text is what the the father doesn't ask. He doesn't run out there to say, to demand, why are you here? What do you want? This is no home for you. You took yours and you ran away. He doesn't come to say, do you promise you'll never do it again? He doesn't come to say, are you here to ask forgiveness? Are you here to grovel? No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, prepare the feast because my son was lost and now is found. That's who our God is. He is a good father. And you need to know that. You need to know that deep in your heart, deep in your bones, that God is a good father who is behind you. And the second reason we pray is because God is with you. It's just like our radio example from earlier. God is here. He, one of his promises to you is that he would never leave nor forsake you. He is close, and he is closer than you can ever imagine. We turn to him, and he is there. And so one of the reasons we pray is because it is a relationship. It's a relationship that we give time to. Every relationship involves time. And God upholds his end of the bargain. God says, this is a relationship I care about, and so I will be there when you call on my name. Your spouse requires your relationship. Your kids require your time. Your friends require your time, and your relationship with the Father in heaven requires your time. And so won't you give it to him? And because we see how God is good and how God is with us, we can only, we know for sure that God loves us. How does he show he loves us? Because he's good to us and he is with us. This is the God who created you, who died for you, who saved you. Who rose all because he loves you. That is his primary motivation in all that he has enacted on this world and in your life. is because he loves you. And I love this quote by Madeline Engel. Pray all you like. Ask anything you want. But don't forget that he never promised he'd say yes. He never guaranteed us anything. Not anything at all. Except one thing. Just one thing. That he cares. That is all nothing else. And I would add, and nothing else matters. Because the God who created everything, the God who saved you, the God who breathed life back into Jesus and will breathe life back into you has said that he loves you. And what else could matter but that the God, that God, that Father loves you. And so we respond by pouring out our lives into prayer with him. Because we know that prayer is where we are transformed And where we are changed. Our Father in heaven desires a relationship with you. He has said that I will be close to you if you would just call on my name. He is a good Father 
who loves you. This is who our God is, and this is why we pray. You know, prayer is very important to this church family. We've said it again, and I want to remind you that every single Tuesday night, our shepherds pray up here for you, for you as a church family and for you individually by name, because we know that it is powerful. We know that it is effective. Every Sunday, we, our shepherds line the walls. They want to pray with you. They want to journey with you in life. And so they welcome you in prayer. This very morning, we have members in the hospital. We had people from Crosspoint go to them to pray because it is that important. We believe in prayer. And so in a minute, as we close, we are going to offer a prayer collectively as a church family. I want to pray the prayer that Jesus called us to pray as a church family. And here's my challenge for you this week. Pray it every day. Pray it twice every day. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And let's follow his example and pray that prayer. But I will offer a warning. If you pray, if you devote your life to prayer and you pray the prayer Jesus called you to pray, your life will change. Jesus does not come in and leave you the same. He comes in and he will transform you into his image. And so we call on you to to pray this prayer this week. After we close, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. We want to know what's on your heart. We want to journey with you. We want to pray with you so you can go to them. Let's stand and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.